Welcome to the Hill City Podcast. This is a recording of the weekly gathering from Hill City Church. We exist to help people follow Jesus and build their lives around three goals. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. If you'd like to join us, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Caustic Center in Farmington Hills, Michigan. We hope that today's message will help you follow Jesus. Again, welcome to Hill City. We are so glad that you guys are here. Uh, We're so grateful that you guys are joining us in the midst, actually, as we wrap up our series, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, where we have been looking at the great commandment. And you guys have been doing such a great job at loving your neighbors. I'm loving the stories that you are emailing me, just telling me about what God is doing. I, I had someone email me and said, hey, this past Friday, they, they did like a block party for their community, for their little neighbor or area of the neighborhood. So good, such a great way to get to know uh, neighbors. Uh, I had other people email me asking me about um, a benevolence account so that they could care for their neighbor in a specific way, care for a need that they had. Uh, such a great way. But I also got a, uh, a, a uh, an Instagram reel sent to me on Instagram that was this funny thing. It was this guy who was going through like all these random kind of like conspiracy theories, like funny conspiracy theories. And one of them was this. He's like, you want to know something weird about my neighbors? He's like, I've never once seen my neighbors bring in their groceries. And I thought, I don't think I've ever seen my neighbors bring in their groceries either. Like, it has to happen, right? I mean, I know it has to happen, but like, I've never seen my neighbors actually like bringing in their groceries. Have you guys? Is this like a thing? I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just weird and I don't watch my neighbors like you guys do, but like, I, I don't, I cannot think of a time where I can ever remember seeing my neighbors bringing groceries. No? Am I alone in this? No? Can you guys think of it? Yeah, you guys can't either? Okay, good. I feel better. Well, well, um, maybe if you do see the anomaly moment where you see neighbors bringing in their groceries, run outside and offer to help them bring them in, uh, just so you can say not only you've seen it, but you've helped with it as well. Uh, but the goal, the aim for us here as, as, as church people is not to see when our neighbors are, are bringing in their groceries, but to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Why? Because Jesus said that the most important thing that we can do is to love our neighbors. This is what we've been discussing together over the last few weeks, that the most important thing that we can do in our lives is to love our neighbor. And this comes from Matthew 22, where Jesus describes what he would call the greatest commandment, the way to summarize all of scripture in just two commands. Here's what he says in verse 37, Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Sound familiar? That was from that verse in Deuteronomy. So at this point, no one was surprised by this summary of Scripture that Jesus had given. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. But the second is like it, meaning the second is is just as equal as the first. It's just as important as the first. What is it? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus says all of the law, all of the prophets, all of scripture is is hanging on these two commandments. So friends, what we've been discussing together over the last five weeks is that the most important thing that you and I can do in our lives to fulfill what Jesus calls the great commandment is to love God with everything that we are, 
but also equally as important, love our neighbors with all that we are. Love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We introduced this magnet, and uh, in this magnet is a simple grid where in the center is your house or where you live. And what we invited you to do was to try and name the eight people who live around you. Can you name the eight names of the people that live around you? And we said, hey, no shame if you cannot, but maybe that means that before you go and love your theoretical neighbor, anyone who is around you, that you should start by learning to love the na- your actual physical neighbors, the people who live next to you. And that begins by simply learning their names. It just begins by learning their names. And trust me, I told you the story last week where I had an awkward conversation. I've lived in my house for two years, and there's one guy on our street that I've never been introduced to. He's never come out of the house. I've never literally ever seen him out of the house. I saw him out of the house, and I went, and I was like, hey, I know this is awkward. I've lived here for two years, but hey, I'm, I'm Rick. This is my family. Like, and, and it was just that simple. Now I can put his name on the magnet, right? I know his name. I know who he is. And we started this, we gave what we hoped was a helpful framework for you and how to kind of move down the line. We said oftentimes what happens is we start as strangers. But the goal is not stay strangers. Our goal is to move from stranger to acquaintance. And the way that we move from stranger to acquaintance is by learning someone's name. So yes, I learned my neighbor's name a few weeks ago when I met him. But the goal is not just for me to stay there as a friendly acquaintance with him. My goal is to now move from acquaintance into relationship with him. And what we talked about last week was the way that we do that is to begin spending time with them. To begin spending time with our neighbors. To move down the line, as we said last week, will require time. It will require effort. It will require us to begin to embrace awkward situations because I think that's just inevitable when when we want to be good neighbors, especially as we get going. But one of the things that we said is just look for something to do. And what I want to encourage you today is, is kind of build on that idea. Some of, you, uh, some of you have had conversations with me, and it's just like, it's just a small thing that I can do to love. You've been giving ideas, and I love that. Because ultimately, what I want to tell you here today is that small things matter. When it comes to this idea of loving your neighbor as you love yourself, this is an integral truth to the art of loving your neighbor, and that is this. Small things matter. Never underestimate the power of a seemingly small act in the life of the people who live around you. It doesn't matter if you live in an apartment complex. It doesn't matter if you live in a retirement community. It doesn't matter if you live in a house that you've lived in for 30 years. It does not matter where you live. Wherever you live, if you desire to love your neighbors as you love yourself, small things matter when you are seeking to move down the line from stranger to acquaintance into relationship with the people around you. Whenever I think of this idea of small things uh, that God uses to make a big impact. I think of this, this story that is found in John chapter 6. 
In this story, we read about a miracle that actually is present in each of the four Gospels. But there's a unique detail that we read about in John's account of the story of this miracle that I I believe helps us in what to do when it comes to loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. So here's the story. It's found in John chapter 6. We'll start in verse 1. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples, and the Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Time out. Peter's response in this moment is like, there's no way that we can feed all these people on what we have. How many times when it comes to being a neighbor, we sit back and we say, there's no way that I can do this or I can do enough to change the trajectory of my street or my building or my neighborhood. We, fi- we find ourselves being in the same spot as Philip here in this story. But thankfully, verse 8 comes. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. I love this question. But how far will they go among so many? This little boy comes forward with his lunch. He's got his little brown paper bag, and he's like, hey, I don't know what you guys are really talking about, but, like, here's some food. And they're looking at a crowd of thousands of people coming. And how much would a a little boy's lunch, how far would it go? But look what happens. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated. uh, And they ate as much as they wanted. He did the same to the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets uh, with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Twelve basketful of leftovers came back to the disciples. Friends, you never know what could happen when you are willing to offer something small to God. What we see throughout the Gospels is that Jesus takes small things and multiplies them into miracles. And what you see in what you can could see in your neighborhood is a small offering of your time or the awkwardness that it might take when you walk across the street or knock on that door or seek to go and introduce yourself to someone around you. And you never know how God could multiply that into a miracle to change the trajectory of your neighborhood, of your street, of your building, of your community. What would it look like if we stopped making excuses about what we had to offer our neighbors and simply entrusted what we had to Jesus? To watch him take this and multiply it out before our very spaces that we live. 
This is the invitation for you and for me. I believe if we desire to move down that line, to move from stranger to acquaintance and acquaintance into relationship with the people around us, then what we need to do is we need to begin the spiritual practice of offering small things before God and allowing God to use those things to continually open the door so that we will ultimately be able to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And I've had a few people along the way ask me the simple question, well, what does this look like practically for me to do? Okay, I get the theoretical idea. Little boy offers his five loaves, small things, miracle. Like, I get that idea. But, like, what does that look like? I get that. That's a great question. I am in that mindset. I'm task-oriented. Like, I want to know what does this look like? What am I supposed to do? Well, my challenge to you is simply this. Bless your neighbors. I think one of the easiest ways that you can love your neighbor as you love yourself is to bless your neighbors. There's many definitions of the word bless. It can mean to consecrate or to set apart for holy use. But with respect to our neighbors, and when we see blessing be applied to people throughout Scripture, what it means is to speak well of or to praise. Therefore, this idea of blessing your neighbor means to Build them up and fill them with encouragement. One author I read said that blessing someone is anything you can do to relieve their burden in life. I believe this is the invitation for you and for me as we seek to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. If we want to love them, then we need to go and we need to bless them. We need to encourage them. We need to praise them. We need to speak well of them. We need to build them up. We need to relieve burden in their lives. But the key to a successful blessing is that the recipient must feel blessed as a result of it. Don't just necessarily think like, oh, what would I want, you know, like how would this speak to me? No, begin to go and think, how would they receive this blessing? What does this look like? I remember one time when we moved into a neighborhood growing up, uh, very nice, we were, uh, the neighbors across the street made us cookies. And they sent their, uh, their like third grade son over to deliver the cookies because, you know, we were younger and they thought, oh, maybe this would be an easy way for the kids to connect. And that was great, except the problem was we were not outside playing. Uh, we were in our house, uh, all of us, my, my brother, my sister, and my, my baby brother, and my mom. And so what happened was, is this kid, uh, he did not knock on the door. He did not ring the doorbell. He began breaking into our home to deliver the cookies. Uh, and I remember this like moment moment of panic where my mom told us to run and lock ourselves in the bathroom because she thought someone was breaking into our home only to find that it was our third grade neighbor across the street to deliver cookies. You know, like, like cookies are a blessing, but to break into our house to deliver the cookies was not a blessing, right? And so like a successful blessing is thinking through how would they receive this blessing? Look for ways to bless your neighbors, even if no one ever asks you about your motivations, I believe that we need to be resolved to live out a, a, a rhythm of blessing our neighbors as a way to love them as we love ourselves. And so I came up with this idea, this, this kind of acronym where BLESS stands for something. I was all proud of myself. And then I was telling Adam about it earlier in the week. He's like, you know someone literally wrote a book about that, right? I was like, darn it. You know, like nothing is new. But I read the book and Bless stands for different things in his book than what I'm about to share with you. So, still original. Um, so, if you can remember the word bless, then you, can bl then you can know how to bless your neighbors. The B in bless stands for be with. 
I think one of the simplest ways that we can begin to be or to bless our neighbors is to simply be with them. I believe that proximity is essential in loving your neighbors. Not just proximity, proximity in living near them, but proximity in their lives. The most meaningful relationship in your life requires you to be with them. I mean, think about it. All the meaningful relationships in our lives. My hunch is that all the people that you mentioned who made an impression on your life were people that you spent time with. And so if we truly want to bless and love our neighbors, then we need to be with them. More than just a hello as we are going to get the mail, or more than just a hey, how are you doing as we're going to grab the garbage cans, or, or whatever it is, we need to be with them. Proximity invites intimacy. And so that's the invitation that we have before us. And the interesting thing is the same is true of our faith. Like this is not unique to us. The same is true of our faith. It's not unique to our neighbors. It's, it's actually what Jesus invites us into with him. Look at John 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Simplest way to say it, Jesus says, do you want to bear fruit in your life? Do you want to have a life that is closely intimate with me? Then guess what you need? Remain in me or be with me. That's the invitation that Jesus is offering to you and I to invite intimacy between our relationship with him. Why would we imagine it be any different with the people around us? If we want to bless our neighbors, we need to be with them. And if so if we don't spend time with our neighbors, we can't bear fruit in our relationships with them. So look for ways to be with your neighbors. And don't underestimate the power of just a small moment that you have with your neighbors. God can use those moments to change the trajectory of their lives. Help out in their yard. Watch a game with them. Have dinner with them. Invite them over for a bonfire. Look for those small moments to simply be with your neighbors. Danielle was telling me about this yesterday. Just yesterday, the kids grabbed some dog treats, put them in a Ziploc bag, ran down the street to our neighbor who, who has a, a golden retriever. And he is, the golden retriever is like our, our bridge, right? He's like, we love dogs. He loves, do he loves his dog. And so like that seems to be. And so the kids went down and they literally offered Theo, the dog, some treats. And guess what happened? Jeff came down and he began talking with Danielle and the kids for 30 plus minutes, all because of the simple act of intentionality. The kids wanted to bless him really blessed Theo, the dog. And, uh, and out of that, God multiplied that simple act of a dog treat into a 30-plus minute conversation. You never know what will happen when you seek to be with your neighbors. The goal is that your presence would be a blessing because you bring the very presence of God into your neighbor's life. Therefore, proximity becomes the pathway for blessing in your neighbor's life. So friends, be with your neighbors. And when you are with them, make sure that you listen to them. That's the L. Listen to them. Listen to them. We live in a world where hardly anybody really listens anymore. 
I mean, how many times do you talk to someone and they got an AirPod in their ear or they're, they're, they're just not paying attention? Most people are more interested in what they have to say than what somebody else has to say. I mean, my hunch is if I walked around the room and said, how many of you have ever been in a conversation with someone and you walked away from that conversation and you don't remember anything that that person says? How many times have you had someone come up and introduce themselves to you and you literally cannot remember what their name is seconds after they introduce themselves, right? Because we're not listening, right? And that's never happened with any of you in this room, but I'm saying like out there, right? I mean, right? How many times... Have you been in a conversation where you can tell the other person is not listening? Their eyes are somewhere else, or they're like, uh-huh, and they respond in a way where you're like, that has nothing to do with the question that I just posed to you, but they're clearly not listening, right? Why? Because we live in a world where listening is no longer an assumed thing that happens in conversation. Listening to your neighbor is one of the greatest gifts that you can give to them because it's a way to bless them and love them. Why? Because listening lays the relational foundation for any words that we may choose to speak later on in the relationship. When we listen well, we show that we really care about the people we are listening to. Listening is critical in our closest personal relationships, and listening is also critical when it comes to living out the great commandment. We need to listen to the hurts and to the needs, to the wounds of our neighbors that God has placed around us. And by doing this, we will hear what they really need in life. Listen for what's really going on in their lives. Understand where they are relationally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Think of what James encourages the church in James 1.19. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to what? Listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. I find myself repeating these, these sayings to my kids often. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? I used to hate that when my mom would tell me. I'm like, yeah, but I got a lot to say, you know? But listen, the truth of the matter is we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. We need to listen twice as much as we speak. What would it look like for us to be great listeners, to the hearts of our neighbors. We must not forget that the most important step in loving or listening to our neighbors is that as we listen to them, we are also listening to the Holy Spirit. Remember a while back we were talking about what does it look like to become like Jesus, and we talked about it, it's this art of living in two places at once. Yes, we are in our world, but we also have our ears and our eyes and our hearts turned heavenward. And I believe that when we listen to our neighbors, we not only need to listen to the heart of our neighbor, but we also need to listen to the heart of God in the midst of it. We need to practice the presence living in two places at once. And I believe one of the great things that we can do is to be able to listen to the Holy Spirit on behalf of our neighbors. We have the ability in those moments to Point our neighbors to Jesus as a result of what the Holy Spirit is doing in, uh, in their lives and in us. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to remind us of the truth of God's word. When Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit, here's how he described the work of the Holy Spirit. In John 15, he says, The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And he will remind you of everything that I have said to you. 
part of what happens in that moment when we turn our ear upward towards heaven, the Holy Spirit will come and teach us and remind us of God's word for our neighbor. And so our role and our responsibility in blessing and loving our neighbor is not just to be with them, but to listen to them and to listen for the Holy Spirit's prompting as a result of our listening. In our listening, we need to listen for the guidance in what to say to our neighbors. In those moments, what I simply do is, as we're talking, I simply offer what I call a breath prayer. As easy as it is for me to breathe in and breathe out, I simply breathe in and breathe out, asking God, Lord, come in and speak to me. But in this moment, I need your wisdom and I need your grace. What is it that you have to say to my neighbor in this moment? As simple as it is, but it's a heart that, is, that comes and our, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf as a result of it. Awfully, simply offer a prayer of surrender, asking him to reveal what he desires for your neighbor to know, what he desires for your neighbor to know in this situation. As a result of this, we've been able to identify lies that our neighbor has, has believed and speak truth into their life. We've been able to offer a simple word of encouragement to counter any kind of shame or discouragement that they feel. In doing this, we might be able to empathize with hurt and with pain or disappointment and communicate hope in the midst of those feelings. By simply offering these breath prayers, we've been able to honor the passion of their hearts and life so that they know nothing's wasted. My father-in-law is honestly, he's a superhero when it comes to this. He has like innate, an innate ability to do this. One time he came up to me and said, um, Rick, I'm going, to, I'm going to give my neighbor a pack of batteries. I was like, cool. Why? You know, like he's like, because I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to do that. And I thought that was the craziest sounding thing ever. I was like, okay, you go do what you feel like God's leading you to do. Like, I don't know how God's going to use a pack of batteries. And can I tell you? that he went and gave the pack of batteries, and the guy said, I cannot believe that you gave this to me. We were just talking about how we needed batteries for our smoke alarms that we just installed in our house. And he was able to, in that moment, be like, well, I was praying for you, and I was praying over just your guy's life and all these things, and it became this open door for them to talk about Jesus and the gospel. And in that moment, that family goes to church, like they're serving. I mean, like that, that I believe that moment was a marked pivotal moment for that family, all because my father-in-law was willing to, as he was listening, have one ear turned heavenward as the other ear was turned towards his neighbor. I mean, just an unbelievable thing. And I was like, batteries. Like, who would have thought that a pack of AA batteries, uh, or I'm sorry, 9-volt batteries could have even, actually, 9 volts makes sense. No one has 9 volts when uh, you need a 9-volt battery, right? But who would have thought? You never know what the Holy Spirit will impress upon you and how that moment will become an ultimate blessing to your neighbors. Never forget that the best blessing you can give to them is to listen to the Holy Spirit on behalf of your neighbor and communicate to them what God desires for them to know in that moment. So as you seek to bless your neighbor, you are with them, you listen to them, and as if you are looking for a venue to listen to your neighbors, an easy way to do that is to invite them to eat with you. The E is eat with. Eat with. If I asked you today to think about the things that Jesus did on his time on earth, like what were the major things Jesus did in his time on earth, m many of you would probably have these things come to mind. Things like teaching, teaching, 
or healing or doing miracles or praying or walking on water or dying on the cross, resurrecting on the third day. Like those are pretty big deals when it comes to Jesus' life. But what if I told you that one of the major ways that Jesus impacted the world was over a meal with people? In the book of Luke, what we see is throughout the gospel, there are meals happening constantly. Seriously, next time you read through the book of Luke, look at how many times Jesus is sharing a meal with someone. In fact, so often, a guy named Tim Chester wrote a book called A Meal with Jesus. And in this, in this book, he makes this argument, that Jesus' mission in the world is found in Luke 19.10. Here's what it says. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Very few people that I know of would argue with this being the very mission of Jesus. But how did Jesus come seeking and saving the lost? Chester's argument is, we see this in Luke 7.34. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. So how did Jesus come to seek and to save the lost? He came eating and drinking. You see, in Jesus' day, the table is a significant place in a person's life. In, at a table, people were able to come and have their needs met. It was at the table where people were able to serve and share grace with one another. At a table, people were able to sacrificially give and love. At a table, people were able to come into the presence of divine and feel accepted as they were. I even think of Paul's instructions to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three. He says, so then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to, gather to eat, you should all eat together. He's saying, listen, enjoy the meal with one another. There is a, there is a power of gathering around a table. Why? Because eating is central to our life. In Jesus' day, eating with someone meant that you wanted to be associated with them. Eating with someone was a way of affirming that person's value and worth. Who you ate with was a statement of who you loved and cared about and considered to be a part of your life. There's power around the table. Jesus literally changed the world by eating. What if I told you that you could change your neighborhood by eating? Contact with people can trigger repentance. Conversion can flow from communion. I think of for myself, uh, we never really ate with my neighbors growing up, but one of the things that we looked forward to every single year was Mrs. Pankoff's Christmas cookies, okay? Mrs. P lived next door to us, and every year she would make us not just a plate, but like a platter of Christmas cookies. And those things, they would get dropped off, and it was like we walked in the house after school, and we knew that they were present. You know, it was like we could like, like smell the vanilla in the air or something like that, you know? And we just came, and listen, I know it's silly if you're sitting back saying, hey, I don't have time for a meal, or I don't know where I'd be able to squeeze that in. What would a small act look like? Thanksgiving is coming up. What would it look like for you to bake a, a loaf of bread and just say, hey, we're grateful for the, we're thankful for the blessing of a great neighbor like you? Just, uh, what, what, what could God do with that? It almost sounds like you'd offer a literal loaf to Jesus to multiply, right? Like you never know what could happen. What could happen as a result of a Christmas cookie coming and being there? Maybe that's the open door for a meal down the line. 
Friends, eat with the people around you. I promise you that everyone loves to eat. Everyone loves to have a good meal. And very few people are actually invited to participate in the table of somebody else. Come and eat with the people around you. Partake in the mission and the ministry that Jesus himself partook in when he was here on the earth. Bless your neighbors by sharing a meal with them. Practice hospitality, and in that meal, make sure to spur them on. That's the first S. Spur them on. Spur is kind of a lost word, right? When you think of spur, you think of like a cowboy spur. That's not what I'm talking about here. Spur is a word of encouragement. It's this idea to encourage them, to build them up. This is literally the command that the that writer of Hebrews gives to the church in Hebrews 10. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. When we are with one another, spur each other on. That's the command that we read about in Scripture. We are to encourage or to prompt one another to, to do what? Towards love and good deeds. If we truly want to bless our neighbors, we can be men and women of encouragement. We can see the admirable qualities in their life and lift those up in their eyes. I think of what Mark Twain once said. He said, I can live two months on a good compliment. Friends, I wonder how true that is of your neighbors. I wonder how many people they have spurring them on towards love and good deeds in their lives. And you have the unique ability to be that person all because of the love that Jesus himself, himself has shown you. When we speak affirmation over someone, our words are the verbal support that we need to communicate and ultimately show love to them. When we spur on our neighbors, what we do is we begin to practice the art of empathy and seeking to be in their world. We say, I see you, I know you, I care about you, I am with you. I think of what's been happening just on our street recently. Um, Danielle has been running around the neighborhood, and as a result of, of kind of this idea of loving our neighbors, she stopped running around like the commons, and she said, hey, I'm just going to run around our court. And she discovered, okay, five times around the court is a mile. And so she's like, hey, every day I'm going to walk or run or be outside for that mile. And so in the moment, guess what happened? She started doing the, the simple act of, I'm going to be outside, and she started stopping and having conversations with people and, and she started being able to kind of encourage on certain neighbors and how their, how their kids are behaving around our kids and just speaking into their lives. And the funny thing is, we were talking about this yesterday. She said, I was outside jogging, doing my mile and she said, yesterday, one of the ones who's on our list who we're trying to encourage regularly and speak life into, she, ro she was driving past, she rolled down the window and she encouraged Danielle as a result of all the encouraging Danielle has been doing to her. So like it got reflected back to Danielle. This is what happens. I think people are desperate and hungry and looking for encouragement in our world. And when we begin to offer that to the people around us, what will naturally happen is they will reciprocate it to you. Now I'm not saying encourage them just so you can be encouraged, but I'm just saying it's a natural byproduct. To me, it spoke to the need and desire that people had to be encouraged in their lives. So start off by looking for small ways to spur them on and speak life into them. And once you've seen small things, move to bigger things in their lives. And I promise you that what you will see 
happen is that the world will flock towards you because spurring one another on is becoming a dying art in our world. When your neighbors know that you see them and how you feel about them, it will be a natural bridge for you to communicate with them the truth that God feels about them. Not just what you see and feel about them, but how God sees and feels about them. So finally, the ultimate ultimate way that you can bless your neighbor is to share with them. Share with. So be with, listen to, eat with, spur on, share with. Don't just share with them cool things that are happening in your world. Don't share with them about the score of the game or whatever. Share with them where you see God at work in your world. Become like him. As you become like him and as you are spending time with him, what will naturally happen is you will have the open door to begin to be able to talk about what's happening in, their li- or in your life. It will become so natural for you that when they ask you, how are you doing, you'll be able to declare what God is doing in your life. You see, I think of what what Peter and John said to the Sanhedrin when they had healed this man as they were walking up to the, the temple to worship God after Jesus has resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven. This, this man had been crippled all of his life. They prayed over him. He was healed. And the Pharisees, they wanted them to stop talking about Jesus. And look at their response. Acts 4.19. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. I believe one of the greatest things that we can do is not memorize an evangelistic strategy, but simply tell the world about the things that we have seen and the things that we have heard. The more that you spend time with Jesus, the more that you become like him, the more that it will be natural for this to be the outflow of your life where you go and you tell people all about what God is doing in your world. The aim here, though, is to ultimately build up to be able to share with your neighbors where you see God at work in their story as well. You begin to use where God is at work in your story as the launching pad for where you also begin to see God at work in their story. See, what you do is you share just what God has been doing, and then you sh- begin to show them how he's also doing similar things in their life. And I believe that this is the work of an evangelist today. Not an evangelist like a professional evangelist. All of us have been called to share what God is doing in our world. Therefore, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are an evangelist. You have been called and invited by God to tell the world who he is and what he has done. And so part of our work as an evangelist is to listen to the stories of others and to show them how the gospel uniquely meets them right where they are. In fact, we had a whole evangelistic campaign that we were doing uh, t- like almost 15 years ago now, and it's called Two Word Story. And it was just like these, these two words that were kind of, uh, that you would use to describe your life and then be able to de- point them to the gospel. And this is, I think about that two-word story often because I think it is a good bridge into how the gospel meets people where they are. Are people feeling hopeless? Jesus is our hope. Are they feeling abandoned? Jesus draws near and is present despite what's happening or what's happened in our past. Are they feeling worthless? Well, Jesus declares them worthy of his very life. Are they feeling lonely? Jesus gives us his very presence to be with us always. 
Are they feeling lost? Jesus offers us a path that leads to life. Friends, wherever your neighbors are at, as you have spent time with them, as you, as, as you have listened to them, as you have eaten with them, if you've, as you've encouraged them, you have the unique opportunity to begin to point them to how the gospel meets the very longings of their heart's desire. Again, you don't need this big evangelistic strategy. I believe what we need to do is to see where God's story intersects with their story and begin to share with them the hope that, that, that comes with that. The gospel is the hope of the world. I believe that. And our role is to show people that hope. This is the greatest blessing that we can offer to our neighbors and the greatest act of love that we can offer to our neighbors as well. So this is how we bless them. Be with them. Listen to them and listen to the Holy Spirit. Eat with them. Spur them on. Share with them what God has done and is doing. And friends, if you desire to take this seriously, this command to love your neighbor as you love yourself, then I want you to simply do this. Bless your neighbors. Bless them. I think of in, in Genesis 12, what happens is, is uh, God is speaking to Abraham. And in Genesis 12 too, God says this to Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Common saying around the church world is, you've been blessed to be a blessing. Church, you've been blessed to be a blessing. God has blessed you. Now you have the ability to go and be a blessing to your neighbors. Who is your neighbor? Get to know their name, but then go and love them. Don't let time be a barrier for you. Don't let fear be a barrier for you. But go and bless them the way that we have been called to bless them. And you might sit back and say, well, that's just not who I am. I'm not really a, a, a person who blesses regularly. Well, I read this past week that our habits shape our lives. No one would argue with that. But Aristotle said this many, 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 many years ago. We are what we repeatedly do. What would it look like for you repeatedly to offer a small act of blessing to your neighbors and see how God multiplies that in your life to the point where you become a person of blessing. That where you go, you offer a blessing to the people around you. Friends, when we seek to, be, to bless our neighbors, we are making a declaration not just about what we believe about our neighbors, but also about what we believe about God. And so our desire is that blessing would flow naturally out of us, that we would just naturally be men and women of blessing. If you don't know how to start, just start small. Look for small things that you can do to be with your neighbors, to listen to them, to eat with them, to encourage them or spur them on, to share with them what God is doing in our world. I want us to end differently than we've ended any message that we've had in our six months as a church I want to just invite you to simply ask God, what is one step that he is inviting you to, be a, to do as a result of this command to love your neighbor as you love yourself? What is it that God is inviting you to do? What's something that you could do today or this week to go and love your neighbor and to bless them? So what we're going to do is we're just going to create space. 
think sometimes that's, we, we rush from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. We don't give space for Holy Spirit to speak. So we just want to create space and allow Holy Spirit to speak to us. Maybe it's you're feeling conviction to be with your neighbor. Maybe you don't really listen well to him. Maybe you don't ever eat with the people around you. I don't know. I don't know what it is that the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. But our invitation is that we're just going to create space, a few minutes, where you just come and say, Holy Spirit, speak. I'd like to repeat from 1 Samuel, your servant is listening. You have my attention. What is it that the Holy Spirit is leading you to do to love your neighbor and ultimately bless him? Think of just one thing that you can do this week. And I'll close this in a few moments. But let me begin this time just inviting the Holy Spirit to come through prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us a command to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. This command is not burdensome. It's, it's an invitation for you, from you to experience the life that you've created us for. And so, Father, we don't want to leave this space without you speaking to us. We want to hear from you. If you say this is the most important thing for us to do, then we want to do this as an act of sacrifice to you, trusting that you can use our small acts of blessing and multiply them into miracles in our neighborhood. Father, we long for the day where we are not strangers with the people who live around us, but rather we're in relationship, encouraging one another, spending time with one another, eating with one another, sharing with one another what God is doing in our lives. And we are seeking to impact our greater neighborhoods and communities and cities as a result of that. Lord, we have a vision for it, but give us a clear vision of what our next steps are. So Father, instead of offering a song of praise in this moment, we offer ourselves in silence before you, asking you to come and speak. So we give you these next few moments to come and to give us clear steps of what you are inviting us to do. Come Holy Spirit. Father, we come and we thank you that you've given us a clear picture of what it is that you desire us to do, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. May Hill City be known as a church full of people who love their neighbors well. And as a result, Father, I pray, God, that we would see neighborhoods, buildings, communities, these cities of Farmington Hills and Livonia, Southfield, Redford be transformed for your good and for your glory, that we begin to see glimpses of your kingdom coming and invading earth as as it is in heaven. Lord, we are eager to see these things happen in in our time. And so give us the faith to act in the promptings that you've given to us, Holy Spirit open doors for us to have these conversations, to make that invite, to see something in our neighbors, to see the opportunities to declare, Jesus, what it is that you are doing in their lives and in our world. We thank you for entrusting us with this task of loving you with all that we are, but also loving our neighbors. Help us as a church to do this well. Help us as a 
as individuals to do this well. Help us as a family of believers to do this well. Lord, we long to honor you with our lives. And so that's what we aim to do with this simple command to love your neighbor as we love ourselves. Open the door. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.